You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Be'ezra Hashem, we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the Indian of Hope. And we're going to be moving forward from the Tzaddik, Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKoyen Kuk, into the base Medrash of Rav Kuk, into the base Medrash of one of his Talmidei Muvakim, Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap. Now, Rav Kuk, generally speaking, had three major Talmidim who ultimately took over at the helm of Yeshivas Merkaz Harav, in addition to his son, Ritzli Yehuda. There was Rav Yitzchak Arieli, who was more of a Rosh Hashiva. And then Rav Kook had what I like to typically describe as a left arm and a right arm. Rav Kook had a right arm associated with chesed, in the guise of a Talmud whose openness and expansivity to all forms of knowledge, to multiculturalism, to all human beings, to every element of existence from the inanimate objects to the vegetation of the world, to the animals themselves in the form of his vegetarianism, up to and including his engagement with human beings. And that was Rav David Kohn, the Nazir, and on the left arm of Rav Kook, in the Gvura of Rav Kook, you had another Talmud who was less expansive in his understanding of Rav Kook's Torah, less open to foreign ideas, quote-unquote, more particular in his belief that the Jewish people and the Jewish nation and the land of Eretz Yisrael stood at the very apex as well as the center of all that moves and breathes in existence. Not to say that the Nazir of David Cohen didn't feel that way, but Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap and the Gvura of Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap is evident from his writings, is evident from the space through which he came to find Rav Kook, because before finding his Rebbe, before finding Rav Kook in the year 1904 on the banks of the ocean in Yafo, which we'll discuss in a moment, Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap was an old-time Yerushalmi, a student of Rav Yehoshua. I'm, I'm unfortunately blanking on his original Rebbe's last name. I want to say Shapiro, but I'm not 100% sure. His Rebbe was known as a Tzadik Nister, as one of the foremost mikubalim in the old city of Yerushalayim, involved in Yeshivat Beit El, with the Svardash of mikubalim, as well as involved in the creation of Shara Shemayim for the Ashkenazi mikubalim. Rav Chalap, as the Talmud Muvhak, 
of that Rav Yoshua, engaged in all forms of abstinence of the flesh, fasting, certain tikkunim that he would go through in order to elevate the Shekhinah, whatever that might mean. But part of the Yeshuv Hayashan, part of that camp that had a difficulty with some of Rav Cook's new ideas. And in 1904, Rav Chalap writes very beautifully that he went to Yafo based on the recommendation of his chaver, Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank, for some inyane refua, for certain health issues, and as well as to try and encounter this young Rav at the time, Rav Avram Yitzchak Akoin Cooks Rusi Yaganaleinu. And Rav Chalap writes very powerfully, he says that he was in a shul on Shavuos, and he heard the Rav, he heard Maran Harav, he heard Rav Cook singing Akdamos, the Aramaic Pitgamim, the Aramaic songs or hymns that are sung on Shavuos morning. And the moment that Rav Chalap heard this, he says, Matzati et Sha'ahavanafshi, I have found what I was looking for. I have found what was missing in my life. And I hereby give myself over to this tzaddik. And from that point on, they were inseparable. Even in the times where Rav Kook, 1916, 1917, when Rav Kook was stuck in Europe during World War I, where he wrote Reish Milin, there are remarkable Nishamadika letters written between Rav Chalap and Rav Kook back and forth, with Rav Chalap utilizing the Shonos, utilizing language that describes a soul cleaving, an awareness of Rav Kook's presence, a hiskashrus to the Nishama of Rav Kook, even by way of a distance. That Rav Chalap spent a lot of time by the Kotel HaMa'aravi, and he describes very often that he felt that the Neshama of Rav Kook was with him at the Kotel HaMa'aravi. He even writes in a famous letter that, Rav Kook, I didn't need you to tell me that you started writing this book, Reish Milin, in London. I knew it already. Rav Chalap had a Neshama Kesher to Rav Kook that is unlike anything. It's something that has not been censored so much, but is less known. But when you look at the individual writings, the particular letters that are sent and compiled in Hedharim, the personal letters of Rav Chalap to Rav Kook and Rav Kook to Chalap, to Rav Chalap, rather, you see a deep soul bond, almost on the level of David and Yehoinasan. Now, parenthetically, the Nazir HaKadosh also encountered, also encountered his Rebbe in a very similar way. But the Nazir was studying philosophy after his time in Velazhin in Basel, Switzerland. And the Rav, Rav Kook, was stuck in Switzerland. This was part of the process of World War I before the Rav arrived in London. And the Nazir, in a very different way, was feeling a little bit lost in terms of the direction in which he wanted to direct his holiness, his Kedusha. And he writes that he was staying in his room in an inn or a hotel of sorts. And he heard Rav Kook davening the Akedah. And the moment that he heard Rav Kook singing the words of the Akedah, he also said, Matsati et Shahavanafshi, I found what I needed, and I am not going to draw Torah from any other source. So it's interesting and, and important to try and understand why it is that the two main students, the main disciples of Rav, Rav Kook, found their way to Rav Kook through hearing Rav Kook. 
For the Nazir, it's simple. The Nazir's entire system, as described in Kol Hanavua, is an audio experience of Judaism. That everything is about hearing the inner voice of prophecy. Everything is about hearing the voice of HaKadosh Baruch Hu echoing through in the caverns of our own selves. So the fact that he was mekusher to his Rebbe by hearing something, that's not such a chiddush. By Rav Chalap, it demands a little bit more attention. Nevertheless, when it comes to Rav Chalap, again, we're dealing with a system of writings. I only have a quarter of the writings, those black svarim in back of me, the Mei Marum, Mei being the Roshay Tevos, Yaakov Moshe, or Yaakov Moshe Chalap. I believe at this point there's 20 volumes of writings on Musr, Hashkafa, Kabbalah, Machshava, Parshanut, in addition to the Shailas and Chuvos that Rav Chalap wrote. Before Rav Chalap was Mukusha to Rav Kook, he was very well known in the Oilam Hatayra, as they describe it, the Yeshuv Hayashan. So there's a famous debate, as obviously they couldn't learn the writings of Rav Chalap after he had met Rav Kook. Let's say that tongue in cheek, obviously. But they felt Rav Chalap's writings were so important that they still decided that it was permissible to read the Shalos and Chuvos of Meimarom. But Rav Chalap's writings, very much like his Rebbe, are not sourced explicitly in Makoros. There's more of a poetic emphasis at the heart of the writings. They flow like Meimarom, like waters from above. Less astral, less abstract and poetic than the writings of Rav Kook. But the incredible fluidity of the writings of Rav Yaakov Meshachalap are, 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 are mamish a taste of Gan Eden, when a person learns the writings. And there was no area in Torah that Rav Chalap was not familiar with. Rav Chalap wrote on the Shemun Parkam of the Rambam, Rav Chalap wrote on Avos, and he wrote on Tefillah, and he wrote on the Shalash Regalim, and he wrote his own Perush on Kabbalah. And he had a relationship with the Leshem, really, and arguing with the Leshem in terms of the relationship with the Ramchal. And there are new Svarim that are coming out still. So Rav Chalap is a world unto itself. And the idea that we're going to be speaking about tonight with Rav Chalap, the idea of the potency of hope, is an idea that can be pointed out in numerous Makoros. Numerous Makoros throughout the close to thousands and thousands of pages that comprise Rav Chalap's corpus. But the teaching that we're going to look at is a teaching that is part of a sefer that is, in my humble opinion, unique. And one of the ideas that I find most unique about Rav Chalap is going to be found deeply in this sefer. Now, I should have started at the outset. Last night, today is the art site of my paternal great-grandfather, Rav Meir ben Chaim. And Rav Meir ben Chaim was Neherag al Kiddush Hashem at the age of 45. And I spoke to my Safta last night to ask the, a little bit of a question about who he was and what he was like. And the only thing my Safta had to say to me was that he was intoxicated with the love of Eretz Yisrael, that no matter what was going on, there was an Ahava Pnimis towards Eretz Yisrael a tzipiyah, a hope that emerged out of the concept of Eretz Yisrael. That even in the Shnei Saza'am, even in the years of wrath and the darkness of those times, the tzipiyah, the hope, was towards the concept of Eretz Yisrael. 
Another element that my Safta told me, which I think is one and the same, because Eretz Yisrael in space is what Shabbos is in time. That another element that she described to me was that he was an incredibly hardworking individual, but no matter what, he made sure to have a suit and tie ready for Shabbos, hung up in his closet, ready for Shabbos. And this sepia towards Shabbos, or this sepia towards Eretz Yisrael, is a painful thing to look at when you look at the historicity of what actually happened. A person who was cut down, Neherag al Kiddush Hashem, at a very young age. But one of the most unique things about Rav Chalap is that Rav Chalap lived through the war. He didn't experience the war. He didn't experience the Shoah. He was in Eretz Yisrael, like Yitzchak Avinu, from the moment of his birth to the moment of his death. But Rav Chalap died in the year 1951, which means that he saw what was happening to the Jewish people. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's a difficulty, if I can say such a thing, in learning the writings of Rav Kook. Because a person has to ask themselves, like we said last week, that for Rav Kook, everything is perpetually elevating. Everything is perpetually ascending. Everything is perpetually moving towards a telos that is outside of our reach. But the question that sometimes is asked on the teachings of Rav Kook is that he died before the Shoah. He died before those Shnosa Za'am. And what would he say? Now, I can't answer what he would say, obviously. I have an amuna of what he would say. I have an amuna, a deep amuna of what Rav Kook would say. But what we do have is a clear example of what his Talmud Mufak would say. That Rav Chalap and his Torah is so saturated and so intoxicated with a hope, with an abiding hope that ascends all boundaries and nullifies all distraction and difficulty. Even after the war, even after those shnosazam, that there are times in my life where I can't learn anything but a tzaddik who has lived through the Shoah. Because when you're learning the writings of tzaddikim who lived before the Shoah, you can always ask that question, that safkanut, that skeptic's question that says, what would they have said? With Rav Chalap and other tzaddikim, we have a very clear answer. Nothing changes. Not one ounce of the hope that we have in Geula, not one ounce in the hope of redemption, not one ounce of the hope in the perpetual elevation of what is going on changes. And so Rav Chalap, to speak so hopefully, to have such an elevated atzil world of Torah, where everything is perpetually moving forward, in spite of the Shoah, is sometimes the menucha sanefesh that I personally need. Because this hope survived hopelessness. The light of his Torah survived the darkness of reality. And he continued to say what he would say. And so therefore I find it fitting that on the art set of my great-grandfather of Meir ben Chaim, a person who hoped towards Eretz Yisrael, even though the hopelessness overtook his reality, to find more hope in the light of a tzaddik who spoke this way even after that which happened, who saw the darkness, who understood the darkness, yet nevertheless continued to speak the same way he was speaking. One of the things with Rav Chalap and his view of hope, as we're going to see, is Rav Chalap never knew anything but Eretz Yisrael. 
And when I say Eretz Yisrael, I mean it in the broadest sense imaginable, in the sense that Rav Cook and his Chavraya Kadisha spoke about Eretz Yisrael. That Eretz Yisrael was not simply a Kenyan chitzoni, like Rav Cook writes at the beginning of Eretz. It wasn't some political baton that can be waved around in the world. But it was the culmination or the beginning of a culmination of the spiritual reality of the ontology of what reality is meant to be. That Eretz Yisrael is not simply a location, but Eretz Yisrael is a concept. To the extent that Eretz Yisrael as a concept can be applied to the experience in Chutz Laaretz as well. And that a person not need live in Eretz Yisrael to experience Eretz Yisrael. That's something that Rav Chalap points out at the beginning of the Haggadah when he asks the question based on a medrash that says that the Jewish people were so shakua, they were so stuck in their impurity. And the only way that Moshe Rabbeinu could herald the redemption from Egypt was to offer up a Korban Pesach. The medrash says that the Jewish people smelled the Korban Pesach and through that sense of smell, those olfactory use, they were able to have a hear her tshuva and return to Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Rav Chalap asks a question in his Agada, and he says, how is it possible that Moshe Rabbeinu was makr of the Korban Pesach in Chutzlar? It's, it's against the halacha. And Rav Chalap answers that there's a kayach by tzaddikim to draw the avira of Eretz Yisrael in, even into Chutzlaretz. That what Moshe Rabbeinu did was he drew Eretz Yisrael into Mitzrayim in order to be makr of the Korban Pesach. So not to be afraid by the Eretz Yisrael dika concept in Rav Chalap's teachings because we can all find Eretz Yisrael in our own lives. But Rav Chalap lived an element of Geula in his life. His whole life was spent in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, Lefianias Daiti, Rav Chalap was forced to ask himself a question. If Eretz Yisrael is Geula, if Eretz Yisrael is the redemption we so desperately seek, if Eretz Yisrael is that Yish of Hadas that we so desperately demand for ourselves, what happens when I live in Eretz Yisrael? What happens when I'm already there and it's still not it? What happens when I've already accomplished that which needs to be accomplished and it's still not the full completion of what I want? Or the way another Jew phrased the question, Jacques Derrida, why is it that on the Seder night, on the Leil Pesach, we say next year in Jerusalem, even when we're sitting in Jerusalem, how could it be that we can yearn for Jerusalem even while we're sitting in Yerushalayim? And I believe that question informed Rav Chalap's conception of tzipia, of hope and desire. Now I have to be honest, I've been waiting I've been waiting a long time to teach this Torah. My Rebbe, Rav Moshe Weinberger, has taught this Torah numerous times, but I've never had the opportunity to teach this Torah, so it's an exciting idea for me. And I'll show parallel teachings throughout the different writings just to prove the point that this idea is not a standalone idea, but rather it's a vein and a thread that animates the entire corpus of Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalak. This is in a Sefer Mimeimeine HaYeshua, from the wellsprings of redemption. Again, a phrase that we announce on Moitzei Shabbos. In the harrowing shadow of Shabbos's death, where the hope that we felt, where the redemption that we thought was near, 
ultimately it turns out to not have been the redemption we hoped it was. But the Avoida of Maitzei Shabbos, the Avoida of Shabbos's departure, is the deep difficulty of affirming Geula and redemption and hope, even though hopelessness is the theme of the day. And Mima'ayne HaYeshua, from the wellsprings of salvation, we cry out at Havdalah, that even though Shabbos is gone, let us still find the hope of Shabbos as we enter into the death of the new week. Rav Chalap writes as follows. And if it wasn't written, you wouldn't believe such a thing. This is the first teaching in the Sefer, Mima'ayne HaYeshua. Rav Chalap lived, he was born in 1882 and he passed away in 1851. This book was published in 1861 for the first time. I don't know when it was written, but it's clear that it was written post HaShoah, with the awareness of the hopelessness that affects the Jewish people and poisons our minds, because there are elements in here or hints to the Shoah. Rav Chalap writes as follows in Perak Aleph, in the first chapter. Those are my words, not Rav Chalaf's. Ercha shel hatsipia li Yeshua, hu yoiter elyoin meha erech shel giloi ha Yeshua atzma. On a certain level, the potency, the value, the purposefulness of hoping towards redemption, of desiring redemption, is greater than the value of redemption itself. Because Geula, redemption doesn't simply mean some socio-political shift in the way things work, but it represents an ontological shift of everything that we know. That moment where HaKadosh Baruch Hu finally says that to the world, to us, to everybody, that is infinite. Just as God is infinite, and we are incapable of ever even pretending to live with the imagination that we can penetrate the limit of what God is, so too redemption itself is ain sofit. It's bilti sofit. There's no end to it. And a person will never arrive at its limit because every moment of gula is something new. Because every element, every part, every detail of redemption as it emerges into our lives is simply a part of what redemption could potentially be, giving way to a new revelation of redemption, teaching us that what we thought was redemption previously is ultimately not the true fundamental redemption, but simply a part of the redemption which Rav Chalap later on in, in another Sefer in Razi Li, in the 18th volume of his teachings, which is a Geula in itself because it's his personal writings that came out recently, where he talks about the Baal Shem Tov and the Vilna Gon and his Eskashras to the Vilna Gon and the Baal Shem Tov. Rav Chalap writes, this is the idea of Tzadikim Hoyuchim Mechayel Al Chayel, that even when you've reached the culmination, the culmination is only a resting point until you realize that there's another distance that you have to traverse in order to arrive at the end. Ulam, however, had sepil Yeshua. We might not be able to ever grasp what redemption is in itself, 
because of its infinite nature. The Tzipil Yeshua, the hope towards Yeshua, the hope towards redemption, Kolelas es koil haor ha'in sofi shal Yeshua. The, the hope and the yearning towards redemption in our unredeemed state, that hope that we push ourselves to in the present circumstances of hopelessness, contains within itself a kernel, the potency, the power, the energy, the intensity of the entire possibility of redemption. We might not know what redemption actually is because of its infinite nature. Never arriving at the true nature of redemption, the desire for redemption, the hopes towards redemption, as we sit in Gullus itself, that contains a tamsis, that in our imagination has all that redemption can possibly offer. And as a result of this relationship, the further and further redemption actually seems to our minds, the hope for redemption is even deeper. The more anxious I feel, the more despondent I feel, the more hopeless I feel, the more intense my desire for redemption, the more intense my imaginings of what redemption will be. The darker my experience is, the lighter my hope towards relief from my experience can become. The who sowed, and this is the secret of Ni'imus Hagalus Shalifnei HaYeshua. This is the secret of the pleasantness, the pleasantness of exile prior to redemption. The pleasantness. Pleasantness is not an explicit emotion because the explicit emotion is very often hopelessness. But there's a hidden noyam, there's a hidden pleasantness, the belief that pleasantness will arrive eventually that is hidden within Gullus. Again, bringing it back to that theme of Moitzei Shabbos, that on a certain level, a person feels Shabbos more on Moitzei Shabbos than they do on Shabbos itself. Because Moitzei Shabbos is the feeling of, oh my God, I need Shabbos again. On Shabbos, we can't fully understand what Shabbos is, to the point that Shabbos is whatever we experience it to be. On Moitzei Shabbos, we realize that, oh, all I want is Shabbos again. All I want is Shabbos again. And the kavanos of Moitzei Shabbos are Vayihi Noyam. That, as the Arizal points out, when you say Vayihi Noyam on Moitzei Shabbos, what you're asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu to do is draw down once again that light of Shabbos that has gone. Let me draw it back into my life right now as I embark in the death-bringing speech of the mundane week as I begin to hope for Shabbos once again. It's the secret of the pleasantness of redemption that stands right before, it's the pleasantness of exile that stands right before the redemption. Hashem 
And in the future, when redemption arrives, it will retroactively be revealed how pleasant the experience of Galus was. So Rav Chalap continues and he says, The yearning and the hope for redemption, for things to be fixed, is not simply some future orientation like we said in the introduction to these classes. It's not sublating my present-mindedness for some future fantasy wherein I live in some transcendent removal from this worldliness, ignoring the reality of this world, but rather hope itself animates this world and opens every moment to become a receptacle of potential redemption, of an estimated arrival of a prophet. Even in the present moment, that's what Yeshua means. That Sapiel Yeshua means that every single moment of my life means that I am hoping and yearning and opening each moment and allowing it to split open and melt with the light of redemption that can possibly appear at this present moment. But if I don't elevate my moment with that sapia, that moment becomes a dead moment. Hope is what enlivens the moment. Hope is what makes the moment valuable. And this is the reason that we don't know the exact date of the eventual redemption. Because if we knew the exact date, then there would be no need to desire it and hope for it on any given day. The fact that the concealment of reality overwhelms our ability to be aware of when redemption will arrive is what gives us the ability to be By waiting, I ensure that it's that every day becomes a receptacle of potential geula, thereby redeeming and elevating this worldliness. So that every moment it is, a, is a desire of that infinite potency of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu could offer us. The birth pains. The pain that takes place when a contraction begins to allow a new birth to come into the world. A tzimtzum for the sake of a hispashtus, a concealment or a limitation for the sake of an expression. That pain, those chevle mashiach, listen to what Rav Chalap says. Chevle mashiach meloshain chavalim hamoishchim. Chavalim hamoishchim are those cords of attachment, of drawing near, of chavalim naflu liben imen that there's a certain element of pain that falls into that noyam of my experience, but that pain is ultimately something that draws the positivity of Gula into my life. For Rav Harlap, hoping for redemption is a bigger taste of redemption than redemption itself. Because when redemption itself arrives, when things are finally fixed, we can never arrive at the end we're nullified in the infinity of all things. But in Gullus, as we stand in Gullus, what we have the opportunity to do is by hoping for redemption, 
we can offer up every element of ourselves, our seichel, our intellectual selves, our hergish, our emotional selves, our mutva, our habituated selves, our bodily selves. And we can offer all of that up into the potency of the moment of hope when a person says, I need Mashiach now, I need redemption now. At that moment, the person tastes the full potency of redemption in a way that can't be tasted in the future. Rav Charap writes that this is why by Yaakov Avinu trying to reveal the Kates to his children, the Kates was Nistam. Yaakov Avinu wanted to reveal the time of redemption to his children. And at that moment, Ruach HaKodesh was Pairech Mimenu. He no longer knew it. He was no longer able to convey it. But Rav, what Rav Chalap writes, and we've said this idea in the name of the Yismach Yisrael earlier, is that that concealment of the redemption was not accidental. It was not some symptom. But it was indicative of the very nature of Gula itself. You want to understand Gula, you want to understand Ketzayam, and you want to understand the end of all things, realize that you can never truly know that day. Because the ultimate benefit of yearning for redemption is the ability to hope for it in exile itself. I want to read a teaching that I saw in Rav Chalap, and this is in Razili. So, Mimayne HaYeshua is the sixth volume of Memarum. Razili is the 18th volume of Memarum. And this is on page Shas, page 360. The essence of life is desire, yearning, and hope. Death is the cessation of hope. Hope is not relevant when a person has something. Only when I am yearning and desiring something that is not present in my life. That's when I experience Teshuka. We see this when we realize that all happiness in the world, all hope in the world, doesn't come from what I have already. I don't hope for something that I have already, but rather my hope is for something that I don't have yet. A person is not satisfied with the wealth that they have, but rather the wealth that they may incur, the wealth that they can potentially earn. The deepest level of shlemus, the deepest level of wholeness, is the yearning that we have in our imaginations for what wholeness might look like. That foreign vision, that vision towards something that seems to be so far off. That it's specifically because what I want is so far from me that the potency of my yearning and my hope emerges in a deeper way. And the culmination and the satisfaction of my desire is not what I receive. 
כי אם במה שמתגברת ומתוספת התשוקה והחשה. The more my hope intensifies, that is the reward itself. Anything that I have earned, anything that I own, anything that I have, I no longer hope for. I can't fully understand the value of it. Hope is born out of not having something. So Rav Chalap, sitting in the land of Eretz Yisrael, had to try and understand on a certain level, if Eretz Yisrael is redemption, then what am I hoping for? What am I waiting for? And the idea is that hope itself is the highest spiritual ideal. The Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, and the Balatanya brings this down in his name, and there was going to be a shear on the Balatanya individually, but we're not going to be doing that, so I want to use this opportunity to offer this teaching. And this is an idea that came out this week in the writings of Rav Itchemai Morgenstern Shlita in the third Maimer in the De'e Chochma L'Nafshecha in the Parshos of Bahar Bechukhoisai. The Pasuk says, Tzamalcha Nafshi Kamalcha Basari Ba'eret Siyah Ve'erayi Belimayin That my soul yearns for you, my soul, my soul harps for you. It desires you in a land that is devoid of any water. The Balatanya writes in the name of the Magid, in the name of the Bal Hashem Tov, that Kain Bakoidesh Chazisicha means Halavai, it should only be that in the time of redemption, in the time that Geula comes, that I should perceive you and understand you as deeply as I understood you in Gullus. Because the power of yearning and the power of hope that we have access to in Gullus, in particular when things get darker, it's not quite dark yet, but it's getting there. That darkness allows us to hope even more. And that taste of tzipia, that taste of yearning and teshuka that emerges, daika, out of the darkness is on a certain level an even greater taste than Gula itself. It's what allows us to draw Gula into the present moment. So for Rav Chalap, the potency of hope is even larger on a certain extent, to a certain extent than the potency of redemption. Because in the absence of redemption, in the absence of that which we desire, we can imagine more. Our hope can be more intense. We can feel the pain of not having what we need even more potently. And that potency itself, that experience, instead of drawing towards despondency, if a person closes their eyes and they realize that mitzapim liyeshua, that we're desiring and hoping towards you every day, that's a taste of geula itself. That's a taste of redemption itself. Be'ezer Hashem. Next week, what we're going to talk about is Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman on the Indian of hope. There's not much more that needs to be said about Rabbi Nachman and the Indian of hope. But we're going to talk about how for all of the other tzaddikim, hope is born out of the shadow of hopelessness. But for Rabbi Nachman, he got rid of the concept of hopelessness entirely. Even hopelessness becomes hope. And then after Rabbi Nachman, we're going to have an additional shir on Kafka, 
another Jew, a secular Jew, who also lived in a world of hope, a profane illumination of hope. And Bezra Hashem, with that, will culminate the series of Shirim on hope, and we'll move weiter into whatever the next series is going to be, Bezra Hashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.